So how uncomfortable was that? (laughs) Sitting there in silence for 30 whole seconds. Now, what were you thinking during that silence? What's going on? Did my screen freeze? Is Brian okay? Did he lose his place? How are you feeling during that silence? Curious? Anxious? Impatient? Bored? Generally speaking, we're pretty uncomfortable with silence. It makes us nervous, self-conscious, especially silence in the presence of other people. Those awkward moments in a crowded elevator or or when there's a lull in conversation on that first date or, or while you're waiting for the Zoom room to fill up with faces. Inevitably, someone says something. How about those Celtics? We just can't stand the silence. Even when we're alone, silence can be uncomfortable. Uh, The moment things get a little too quiet, we turn on the TV or put in our earbuds or tell Alexa to play some classic rock. We start humming or singing or talking to ourselves, anything to fill that empty space with some sound. Therapists actually have a name for it, sedatophobia, the fear of silence. 50 years ago, it was practically unheard of. In recent decades, it's becoming more and more common. Thanks to our ubiquitous devices, we are wired for sound everywhere we go, 24 hours a day. I read about something called an anechoic chamber, a room that's designed to eliminate all outside sound. There's one at Microsoft headquarters that's supposed to be the quietest place on earth. Step inside, they say, and it's so quiet, you can hear your digestive tract gurgling, your bones creaking, air hissing in and out of your lungs. It's such a disorienting experience, you begin to lose your balance and start feeling nauseous. Most people can only stand it for a few minutes. The world's record for sitting in that silent space is 55 minutes. Generally speaking, human beings are pretty uncomfortable with silence. And yet, we need it. Physicians tell us that that when we're quiet, when there's no noise, our blood pressure goes down, our muscles relax, our brain functions more efficiently. Psychologists tell us that a few minutes a day of silent meditation can calm our nerves reduce stress, lift our spirits, and make us more attentive to the world around us. So we have this paradoxical relationship with silence. On the one hand, we're uncomfortable with it and even afraid of it. At the same time, we need it to be our full and best selves. And as we learned last week, that paradoxical relationship between sound and silence is only amplified at Christmas. Christmas is perhaps the noisiest season of the year, a cacophony of music, laughter, conversation, haggling, and constant ooing and eyeing. And yet we spend most of that season desperately seeking some quiet, peaceful moments that will allow us to enjoy the beauty and the wonder and the meaning we're looking for this time of year. Isn't it ironic, we said, that in the noisiest time of the year, The thing we most want to hear is silence. How did Simon and Garfunkel put it? 
people talking without speaking, people hearing without listening. It's not a Christmas song, but it raises an important question for this time of year. What sound does silence make? What are we missing by not listening? What might we hear this Christmas if we could quiet ourselves long enough to listen for the sounds of the season? That's the tension we're exploring this Advent, the interplay of sound and silence that surrounded the birth of Christ. And why sound and silence are essential not only to a meaningful Christmas, but to life with God throughout the year. So last week, we talked about the silence of God, those times in life when God seems to have gone quiet on us. That heavenly silence is uncomfortable. It's disorienting. Has something gone wrong? Has God forgotten us or lost interest in us or given up on us? And as uncomfortable as those seasons can be, we learned that silence, the silence of God, can actually prepare us for some new thing God is about to say or do. And we looked at the 400 years between the Old and New Testaments and how those silent years prepared people for the voice of John the Baptist and the coming of Christ. Now, you may have noticed we selected an Art Deco look for our graphics this Advent. It's not just because it's trendy. It actually takes us back to the 1920s, when silent films gave way to talking pictures. It was a transition that took place practically overnight in the span of a year or two. And it happened quickly because moviegoers had been prepared for it by 40 years of silent films. That's what silence does for us. It captures our attention. It prepares us for what's next. So as uncomfortable as it is, the silence of God can prepare us to hear the voice of God. But what happens when everything goes silent? When by choice or circumstance, we are silenced and the world around us goes quiet. As comfortable as heavenly silence is, earthly silence can be just as disorienting. What do we do when there are no voices to inform us, no sounds to distract us, when all we can hear is the sound of our own bodies keeping us alive? We just learned that the average human being can barely survive an hour of earthly silence. Imagine spending a year in that kind of quiet. Well, that's pretty much what happened to the man we're going to meet today. For nine months, the only sound was the sound of silence. But in that silence, he heard something, something he'd been waiting his whole life to hear, something, in fact, the whole world had been waiting to hear. The man's name is Zechariah, and his story is found in a book of the Bible we call Luke. That's a story we've looked at several times before, but this time around we'll focus on the role that silence plays in his spiritual journey and in ours. So let's begin in Luke chapter 5, Luke, Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. 
In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah, who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless, because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Well, here we meet two of the most likable characters in all the Bible. Zechariah and Elizabeth were faithful, upright, God-fearing people. They served their community, they loved each other, and they carried a great burden. They were unable to have children. Now, the scripture makes clear it, it was nobody's fault. God wasn't punishing them for anything. They weren't lacking in faith or virtue. It, it just happened they weren't able to conceive. And that can be a heartache for, for any couple in, in any setting. But it was especially so in the ancient world. Not only because it carried a social and spiritual stigma, but because it meant there would be nobody to care for them in their old age, no one to carry on the family name. Now, from what we can tell, they publicly bore this burden quietly and stoically for many years. But, but privately, we have to believe they wept over it and over the years offered up many prayers. But those prayers were met with that heavenly silence we spoke of earlier. So it was a longing and a heartache that they carried with them well into their golden years. Until one day, when the silence of heaven was broken. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time came for the burning of incense, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Well, as one of 18,000 priests serving the temple, this was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for Zechariah. And the incense represented the prayers of the people rising toward heaven. Prayers for the harvest, prayers for healing, prayers for forgiveness, prayers for Messiah to come and deliver them from their oppressors. Entering into that holy place, offering that incense on behalf of the people, was a great honor and a solemn responsibility. It was also about to get really, really uncomfortable. Verse 11. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right hand of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will bring back many of the people to the Lord their God to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Well, we'll skip over how terrifying this must have been for the old man and, and get right to the fact that this was remarkable news. God was going to answer two prayers at once. Zechariah and Elizabeth's personal prayer for a child and the prayers of the people for their deliverance. 
I mean, this, this, this was a great moment for Zechariah and the nation until the old man spoke up. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. You, you can't blame him for asking, right? <laughs> Zechariah wasn't a rube. He knew where babies came from, and, and he knew they didn't come to people as old as he and Elizabeth. He also knew that the nation had been in bondage for centuries, and that deliverance from Rome would be no small feat. I think for a minute about a prayer you've been praying for a long time. Your most heartfelt prayer. A prayer for the healing of someone you love, maybe. Or, or, or some prayer for your children. Or, or for someone's salvation. Imagine if after years of praying from that thing, a voice from heaven suddenly told you that your prayer was about to be answered, along with all the other prayers you'd been praying for the nation, for the world, you'd be a little slow to believe it as well. Uh, the message translation captures what was happening in Zechariah's heart. Do you expect me to believe this? <laughs> uh, another commentator puts it this way. Now? You want me to believe this now? After all these years of silence? See, it wasn't that Zechariah didn't hear what the angel said. He just couldn't believe what the angel said. He couldn't get past his doubts and disappointments in that moment. So as uncomfortable as the silence of God can be, sometimes the voice of God can be just as troubling. How can I be sure of this? Zechariah asked. Well, apparently that wasn't the response the angel was looking for. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Now, later on, we find out that Zechariah lost his hearing as well. So in that moment, that sacred chamber became the quietest place on earth. The only sound was the thumping of Zechariah's heart beating in his chest. I'm guessing he didn't make 55 minutes in that silence. Moments later, he was standing before a crowd of wide-eyed people, wondering what in the world had happened in there. Unfortunately, he couldn't tell them. Now, this is every preacher's nightmare. To, to have a crowd of people staring at you, to, ha to have the message of a lifetime on your heart and not be able to speak one word of it. There was nothing left but, but to make the long and lonely walk home, trying to make sense out of what had just happened to him and wondering how in the world he was going to explain it to Elizabeth without speaking a word. Now, 
Given our discomfort with silence, our first response is to interpret this as some kind of punishment for Zechariah's lack of faith. <laughs> kind of like an old school teacher making him write, I will not question angels a hundred times on the blackboard. Nine months of silence is a long time. <laughs> Imagine going from now to Labor Day without saying a word. But what if the silence was meant as a gift? as an opportunity to think about all that had happened to him, all that the angel said, all the prayers he and his people had offered over the years, all the scriptures he had studied and taught in a lifetime of ministry. An opportunity to think about those things without any outside distraction, without other voices telling him what to think, without having to come up with answers and explanations before he was ready. As uncomfortable as silence can be, sometimes it's a gift. I remember a, a retreat I took many years ago to a retreat house uh, up on the North Shore. I was going for a couple of days to study and pray and plan for the upcoming season, which I had done many times before. But this was my first time at a silent retreat house. Uh, there were a dozen or so of us there for those couple of days. But, but, but when we gathered for worship or, or sat down for meals or, or passed each other in the hallways, we weren't allowed to speak at all. And I was surprised at how odd and uncomfortable it felt. I, I really wanted to know who these people were seated around the table with me and why they were there. And I wanted them to know who I was and why I was there. I wanted to know what they were thinking about the, the scripture passages we read in worship. And, and I wanted to share my thoughts with them. But why? Was it because I, I wanted to know where we all fit in the pecking order in terms of status or influence? Was it because I wanted to impress them with my thoughts and insights? I began to realize how often we use words to position ourselves, to manage relationships, to control our environments. How much energy goes into coming up with those words and evaluating the words of others. But, but once I got the hang of it, I was amazed at, at how comfortable it became to be with people without having to manage their opinion of me. I was amazed how creative my thinking became when I wasn't being assaulted and distracted by other people's ideas and messages. I was amazed at how easily I could discern and follow the prompting of the Spirit as I prayed and studied and planned. For two days, I didn't speak to or hear from another human being. I didn't listen to music or watch TV or surf the web or talk on the phone. And in that silence, I sensed the Lord's presence and guidance in ways I never had before. There's something very liberating about silence. 
It, it releases us from having to say something about everything, having to respond to every tweet or post. It eliminates the noise that can drown out the still, small voice of God. It frees us to listen to our own hearts and to whatever God might be trying to say to us. And I think that's what happened for old man Zechariah in those months following his encounter with the angel. Let's pick up the story in verse 59, just after the promised child was born. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, he is to be called John. They said to her, there is no one among your relatives who has that name. Now, it was common practice for, for a firstborn son to, to be given a family name, to, to carry into the next generation. And it seems that uh, from the text that there was some lively debate uh, among the gathered family and clergy as to what the child's name should be, something along the lines of Zechariah Jr. But the old man himself was blissfully oblivious to everyone's opinion. So when they finally turned to him and asked what he wanted, Scripture tells us, he asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John, which, of course, is the name the angel had given him nine months earlier. Immediately, his mouth was opened and his tongue set free and began to speak praising God. There were a lot of silent nights between that encounter with the angel and the naming of that child. But something happened to Zechariah in that silence. He was able to make the journey from hearing to believing and ultimately to receiving the good news the angel had brought to him. And he might never have gotten there without the silence. So here's the idea I'd like to offer you today as we consider this ancient story. The sound of silence is the sound of a listening heart. The sound of silence is the sound of a listening heart. Remember that uh, anechoic chamber we talked about earlier? How after a few minutes in that silence, a person begins to hear the workings of their own internal organs? Well, it turns out if you lean into that silence a little longer, you actually begin to hear the whispers of your own heart and the still, small voice of God. In preparation for this series, we had some conversations with Vivian Marcano, who leads our deaf community, and with Wendy, who is deaf. They, they pointed out that sound silence is not a negative for the deaf community, as it is for those of us who are accustomed to physical sound. But they face the same challenges we do when it comes to cultural noise and outside voices competing for their attention, distracting them from the messages they, they truly need and long to hear. I learned that in American Sign Language, there are a few different ways to sign the word listen, depending on who you're communicating with and what you're talking about. 
If you're talking about a hearing person, you sign listen this way, with a hand to the ear. If you're talking about a deaf person, you sign listen this way, with your fingers drawing in toward your eyes. And if you're talking about anyone listening to God, you sign it this way, with your fingers drawing in toward your heart. I love that. Because the sound of silence is the sound of a listening heart. As I was working on this message, I, I got to thinking about, about times in my life when I, when I think I've heard God's voice in, in my spirit or, or, or in my actual ears. It's only happened to me a couple, a handful of times. The first time it happened, I was in college. I was studying in the library one night, one of the quietest places on campus. And I was sitting at one of those study carols, you know, trying to shut out all the distractions. And I remember the moment very vividly. I was doing some reading for a theology class I was taking when suddenly I, I heard a voice say, Brian, why do you love me? It was so startling and distinct. I remember leaning back in my chair to see if someone was actually talking to me, but there was no one in sight. I went back to my reading and, and heard it again. Brian, why do you love me? Well, to make a long story short, those words, that voice prompted a lengthy conversation between myself and God about, about why I was following Jesus and, and why I was pursuing a life of ministry. Now, it wasn't quite as dramatic as, you're going to have a baby, <laughs> but, but it was that surprising and that life-changing. Like I said, it's only happened to me a handful of times in my life, but every time I realized it's happened when I've been quiet, when I've been silent, studying in a library, having my quiet time early in the morning, walking in the woods, sitting alone in the back row of a darkened sanctuary at a retreat house where I wasn't allowed to speak. The sound of silence, it turns out, is the sound of a listening heart. Which means as we head into this noisiest season of the year, we're going to want to look for and lean into moments of silence. And that's not going to be easy. Our Christmassy homes and neighborhoods and workplaces will not feel like the quietest places on earth. So where and how will we find these moments of silence? Well, here, here are a few ideas. Set aside five minutes a day to sit or stand in silence. I don't recommend laying down for obvious reasons. Now, it might help to plan it for the same time each day, but sometimes you just catch as catch can. Five minutes in front of the Christmas tree or the manger scene, or the fireplace, or, or sitting in your car before walking into the house or the office or the mall. Listen 
for what your heart might be telling you. That you're anxious or tired or distracted or lonely. Then listen for what the Lord might be saying to you in that moment. Maybe a scripture verse will come to mind, or a line from a Christmas carol, or a memory that brings you comfort or joy, or a prompting to reach out to someone. Don't try to force anything, just, just listen. It may be that all you'll hear is the longing of your heart, but that may be enough to prepare the way for something the Lord might say or do when the time is right. So to help you with this practice, we've crafted something we've called the 12 Moments of Christmas, designed to bring some structure to that silence. Uh, you can find them on the Christmas landing page at grace.org slash Christmas or, or on the Grace Chapel app. Each moment offers a few lines of scripture, some reflective thoughts, and a song from our Christmas Spotify playlist. And when you can't find five whole minutes, try snatching a moment or two of silence here and there. When you hear a Christmas carol that seems to speak to you, stop what you're doing. Sit or stand still. Listen to the lyrics. Listen for what your heart might be saying or hearing. Instead of tearing into your Christmas card, standing at the kitchen counter the moment you get home, take a few minutes after dinner to, to sit down with them. Take in the artwork and the sentiments. Offer a prayer of thanks or intercession for the person who sent you the card. And then listen for anything the Lord might be saying to you through that card. For my deaf friends, that means putting away all the distractions, the texting, the computer, the emailing, and listening for God. Remember, it's not just about silence. It's about the interplay of sound and silence, how one prepares us for and enriches the other. You need exhaling and inhaling to breathe, one writer says, and you need sound and silence to hear from God. So we'd like to offer you a little of both as we finish up today. In just a moment, I'm going to pray, and, and then we're going to offer you 60 seconds of silence, like we did last week. And hopefully we're getting a little more comfortable with that. Then we're going to transition to a time of communion, which will offer us just the right balance of sound and silence as we listen for the longing of our hearts and the voice of God. Let's pray. Oh, we do thank you, Lord, for the sounds of the season for the songs and the stories and the scriptures that bring such beauty and goodness to our lives and to our world. But Lord, we confess that sometimes all that sound can keep us from hearing what we need most, your voice. So for these next few moments and in the season to come, we want to quiet our minds and hearts and bodies 
and invite you to speak into our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.